It's time to switch gears off of COVID just for a minute because there is a really big energy crisis coming and you need to know about it. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here with another update for you. And I'm going to depart a little bit from my COVID coverage tonight, in fact, maybe a lot, because while we're all spending a lot of time worried about COVID, talking about it, and there's a lot of really big issues there, there's something even larger brewing right now that has the chance of impacting your life far more seriously than COVID has, statistically speaking. And I'm talking about now an energy crisis that is sweeping Europe, the United States, China. It's kind of a global thing. What's going on? Why does it have such a big impact? So let's go there and look at it. So it's I'm talk, calling this one a dark winter. Uh, global energy crisis is now spreading. Let's start here. I'm sure maybe you've heard about this. That uh, and Let me get my drawing tool out, of course. Need that. That uh, Britain put the army on standby after 90% of their petrol stations, gas stations to us in the United States, ran out of fuel. 90% ran out of fuel due to panic buying. That's what they're blaming it on in a post-Brexit shortage of tanker drivers. So it's panic buying and tanker drivers, but certainly not just the fact that there's an energy shortage in general due to bungling mismanagement of COVID and the economic response there too. So this is COVID related, but this is the economic impact. Remember, I always said there are three things that we're going to need to balance out. And one of them is not swamping your hospitals. Another one is getting the R0 below zero. But the third one, always the third one, was making sure that you didn't crush your economy. Because when you crush your economy, you actually can ruin more lives, lead to more suicides, despair, broken dreams, things that have really lasting impacts on people's lives. So making sure the economy was always balanced. Well, I had my concerns. Um, uh, remember, it's, as a uh, as Zuby put it, you know what the hardest part of the 15-day lockdown is? The first 500 days. So that's where we are. We're in like perpetual lockdown and it's having impacts. This is one of the impacts here. And they're talking now about how people have lined up for fuel for days. This is just like the bad old days of the 1970s. And uh, this is something that we really need to look at. So what is it? What's happening here? Financial Times talked about Boris Johnson prepares to call in army as panic buying drains UK petrol pumps. Here's how they're uh, putting this down. They say um, Boris Johnson is preparing to draft in hundreds of soldiers to tackle the UK's fuel crisis. As at least half of petrol stations outside the motorway network have run out of fuel after Britain's engaged in panic buying. Now, why would they engage in panic buying? probably because a government minister told him not to panic. That's usually a good time to panic. As John Michael Greer, colleague of mine, put it a long time ago, when it comes to situations like this, you want to panic early. Avoid the rush. All right. Prime Minister will meet senior ministers and officials on Monday to examine the latest data following the disruption of fuel supplies to fuel supplies caused by a scarcity of tanker drivers. So they're saying it's tanker drivers. So the tanker drivers would be the ones who would go to the refinery, pick up the refined product, bring it to the station. So they're saying they're just missing that one component. I'm going to show you data that suggests maybe that's not actually what's happening here. It's a part of it, but it's not all of the story. And I'll show you how I can come to that conclusion. 
Uh, Johnson will consider using the army to drive tankers around the country. That's probably a decent idea. Uh, there are lots of people in the army who knows how to drive trucks. Or, or, crazy idea. What if you paid people more money to be tanker drivers or truck drivers? Interesting idea. Not sure if that would work. Maybe it's time for bringing in something. By the way, uh, this is a reminder. This is uh, from the episode 11, and today we're on episode 29. Back in June 18th of 2021, I was talking about oil shortages and energy crises in that update back then, back in June, because this is all completely easily foreseeable. And in that episode, I ended up telling you or anybody who listened to that one about how we had a $500 billion shortfall in energy investment that was sure to begin to bite into energy supplies. Is that what's going on? I think it's at least part of it. So we have to talk about that, but um, this is the kind of service I do. And by the way, if you're a paying member at Peak Prosperity, you get access to this kind of thinking, um, which is what I do. I'm your personal information scout. So I think it's uh, 84 cents a day. You can hire me to be your information scout. It's a pretty good bargain if you like to know the future. Here's why I don't think that this has anything to do as much with tanker drivers as it does some other collection of shortages. Um, what we're looking at here is Brent, which is a grade of crude oil. It's a proxy for international price of oil. In fact, there are dozens and dozens of different grades of oil that you could buy, um, Saudi, Saudi Arabia Select, um, et cetera, et cetera, all over the place. But Brent is one. And Look here, two things. First, we're looking at a 113% increase from the lows of last November to here at the beginning of October, pretty much. Um, that is an enormous increase. That is going to have extraordinary inflationary impacts across everything that oil is part of the manufacturing supplier distribution chain for. Now, that's pretty much everything. Uh, oil's touching everything. Just in the past, oh, say, month or so, month and a half, oil is up 21% here from here to here. So this is an oil shock when it's never really so much the actual destination, but the pace of the change. The old saw about, you know, it's not the, if your parachute doesn't open, it's not the fall that kills you. It's the stopping. In an economy, it's not the price that oil gets to, but it's the pace at which it gets there that often creates the shock. What's different about oil shock three here to any of the prior oil shocks, those were actually because of human decisions that were made to limit the output of oil. This is because of human bungling to forget to invest in the production of oil, which was a very bad idea. All the articles notwithstanding saying that oil is about to just go into our rearview mirror and nobody wants it anymore and it's a stranded asset. Absolutely not the case. Those were hyperbolic articles, not grounded in reality. So here's why I connect the price of oil to why I think this, the situation in the UK is not just about tanker driver shortages. And it goes like this. The first thing, we start down here at the gas station with the demand. Well, the demand is clearly there. We cle you know, Clearly, these uh, people want uh, gasoline they can't get. Where does the supply come from? It comes from the refinery right here. Now, as the refinery makes supply, it creates demand on its side for oil over here. If the refineries were able to make gasoline but couldn't ship it, they would have to dial back their production of gasoline because those little tanks you see in the foreground would fill up. There's nowhere to put the gasoline or the petrol or the diesel in this case, uh, if it's Europe. Then those tanks fill up and there's nowhere to go. And then the supply, there would be a, a lack of demand for here from the refiners, in which case the price of oil 
would fall because the price of oil is not set by your buying patterns at the gas tank. It's set by demand at refineries because they are the first customer in, in uh, the supply chain for oil. So since we don't see a falling price of oil here, rather we see a spiking one, it tells me that there's still some sort of a mismatch over here on the supply side for oil. Something is not quite right here. It's not simply a case of not having truckers to be able to get us from here to here. It's not just that. There's something else going on up here. And we can detect that, again, in the price of oil, which is going up pretty strong, uh, which means that there's a lot of demand over here on the refining side for it. All right, so that's what I'm looking at there on that side. As well, we've heard, you know, the UK um, is suffering not just an energy crisis in terms of gas and petrol at the petrol stations. It's facing an overall power problem. Natural gas is in short supply, which means that electricity generation has been squeezed, which means what? They need electricity from somewhere. Now, you've heard a lot of stories probably about all the wind power that the UK has installed. And that story is not quite as uh, solid as the articles might have led you to believe because the wind power has been kind of quiet over there lately from terms of wind. So that hasn't been able to fill the, the demand. Natural gas is in really serious short supply. So what has been filling the demand? Coal. Look at the price of coal. Remember coal? Coal is dead. Coal is not dead. Um, and here we're looking at the price of coal going from 50 to 190. It's almost a fourfold increase. Uh, it's just absolutely exploding in price. And this, a chart like this tells you the depths of the energy crisis that's happening in the UK right now. It's pretty extreme. But it's more than that. This is... Uh, Europe's energy crunch, we're looking at, this is a combination um, chart here showing Dutch gas, uh, German power, which is an amalgam of things, but it's mostly electricity, carbon futures. Um, these are all things uh, measured in uh, megawatt hours. So it's measuring it in megawatt hour equivalents because you can, you can convert all these things to megawatts. Uh, this is the situation where back here in April of 2021, this might have been at 20 euros, now we're at 80 euros. So this is a fourfold increase in the price of power in Europe. And that, of course, is squeezing consumers. It's squeezing businesses. It's leading to all sorts of disruptions that are very hard to calculate because they happen all over the place. You've probably heard um, things like um, fertilizer plants shutting down, things like that. So what's the response? Well, the International um, Energy Agency, whoops, that's IEA. So I think I better correct that right here before somebody screen grabs that. Um, the IEA, the International Energy Agency, they called on Russia and they said, hey, Russia, maybe you should send more supply to Europe. Um, well, what's the issue there? Well, Europe is actually really short on natural gas supplies right now. We'll get into that in just a second, what that actually looks like. Why am I going into this? Because this is going to have huge impacts on quality of life, if not life itself, and on already strained supply chains. It's a really big issue, and you need to know about it. All right, uh, but uh, Russia, you know, you can't ship it if you need it at home. Uh, usually exports, is uh, that's your surplus. So what's the problem here? Russia has a gas problem itself, nearly the size of exports to Europe. Bloomberg article here, um, Gazprom, the Russian gas company, needs to store nearly as much natural gas um, at home to keep Russians warm this winter as it currently ships to its top customer, Western Europe, every day. So Russia has a choice to make now. Are they going to have enough for themselves or are they going to supply Europe? 
And I think you all know exactly how that would fall for any country in a production situation. You take care of your um, citizens uh, first before you send it off. So that's been the issue here. Uh, The Russian gas giant has just two months to build its depleted inventories to the record levels it's targeting. Uh, A goal the energy minister, Nikolai Shulganov, expects Gazprom to meet. This will require pumping into underground uh, storage sites. Um, in Russia supplies equal to about 80% of daily exports to Western Europe. So that's an enormous challenge. Russia is going to have to balance that meeting its customers needs versus meeting its own citizens needs. I'm pretty sure I know which way Russia is going to default on that. They have a long track record of taking care of, of their own citizens when it comes to things like that. But this is global. This is really big deal. China has an energy shortage right now that's pretty astonishing. Caught me by surprise. I didn't see it coming at all. All of a sudden, boom, there it is With in the context of all the other energy shortages we're seeing around the world. China faces mounting pressure to ramp up coal imports, coal imports and ensure supplies to keep lights on, factories open, and water flowing as a severe power crunch roils the northeastern industrial heartland. With electricity shortages sparked by coal shortages crippling large sections of industry, the governor of uh, Jilin province, one of the hardest hit in the world's number two economy, called for a surge in coal imports. Um, While a power company association said supply was being expanded at any cost. So what's interesting here, look at this news reports talked about saying the lack of power has shut down traffic lights. Wow, you gotta be you gotta be pretty serious power pinch to say I'm gonna dial back my traffic lights, residential elevators, 3G mobile phone coverage, as well as triggering factory shutdowns. That we should look into really quickly because when you trigger a factory shutdown, it has all these downstream impacts that can happen. So what we're seeing now is first we had the COVID shutdowns. That pig in the Python is now just coming out in all sorts of disruptions to global supply chains, transport, logistics, um, raw material, intermediate goods, like everything I talked about literally at the beginning in spring of 2020, at the beginning of COVID, when I was talking about these uh, supply shortages I foresaw, it was because of that dynamic of those shutdowns. You can't, you can't just shut down a series of plants for whom all these other plants are relying and not have consequences. That COVID consequence is just catching up with us. And now this Now we have an energy crisis on top of that. What does that look like? What does that mean? It looks like this um, silicon metal shortage. uh, This is uh, a precursor to make uh, chips. You've probably heard about silicon chips being in really short supply for cars, trucks, autos, all kinds of things. Uh, It's amazing the chip shortage the world is seeing. Look at this explosion here in the price of uh, silicon metal from here to here. It's uh, what's that a quintupling? Um, it's pretty extraordinary. So that's one of the impacts that uh, energy shortage was hitting a key area where this silicon metal is manufactured. Now we're looking at real serious shortages for the precursor, the input for silicon chips themselves. Um, Again, these are the sorts of downstream impacts that you can have and you should expect when you have something like an energy shortage. Uh, Again, we're going to have more supply chain issues. We're going to have lots of them coming up. Uh, This is in Al Jazeera talking again about the China situation. Lack of electricity has also affected industrial production in the world's second largest economy, halting operations at factories, including some supplying Apple and Tesla. 
Apple supplier Unimicron Technology uh, said factories in two regions were told to stop production from midday Sunday through Thursday. Uh, In filings here, dozens of other companies, including a parts supplier to Tesla, were also told to halt production this week according to stock exchange filings. So we have... We don't even know how many. Uh, it's going to take an analyst in each one of these subsectors to begin to understand even remotely what's happening. But uh, lots and lots of plants are, are shutting down. So we're going to see supply chain shortfalls. The reason this is important is that um, people who have been following me for a while, read this person's comment here. I've been following you on YouTube since one of your very first alerts back in January of last year. It allowed me the information and time to properly secure my company's supply chain before the first wave really started to hit. And though at the time my staff thought I was crazy, they have been thanking me ever since for being ahead of the situation. Well, we have another situation on our hands. And so this is uh, um, a very serious situation, as serious as COVID is. It's not nearly as serious as an energy shortfall because the energy shortfall just shuts everything down, whether you choose to have it do that or not. Uh, The U.S., Affected as well, of course, because energy is a global commodity. There's no such thing as a U.S. Um, you know, oil market and a European oil market. It's one big global commodity. The stuff gets shipped everywhere. Highest bidder wins. So if there's a shortfall in natural gas, because it's also a shippable product in Europe, it's going to drive up prices here in the United States. It's going to drive up prices everywhere in the world. So natural gas prices are surging. Winter is still months away in the United States. Low inventories around the world now have made this kind of a serious situation. Natural uh, gas prices have surged, prompting, prompting worries about winter shortages and forecasts for the most expensive fuel as it is since flackers, uh, frackers flooded the market more than a decade ago. Remember the whole fracking story? Oh my God, we're going to have natural gas is too cheap. It's going to be too cheap forever. Oops, not anymore. Um, And this is kind of going to be a semi-permanent situation. I would have a longer analysis on that that I've run at my website around really how much energy supply we have. It's a big story. It's actually the biggest story of our times. And uh, my crash course covers that. If you haven't seen that, you should probably watch that. Because if you don't understand energy, you're literally blind in this world of what's happening economically, what's happening geopolitically what you can depend on as far as the future. So uh, energy is everything. It is the master resource from which all other resources flow. All right. Um, U.S. natural gas futures, uh, up about 100% from just a month or so ago. Everything depends on storage. This may not look like a lot. We're we're looking, it doesn't look like a huge shortage, but here's what we're looking at. Um, First, uh, the five-year average is that solid brownish line in the center of the gray zone. And the gray zone is kind of your maximum minimum range that we saw over that last five years at each of these times. You see this seasonality to it, right? So in winter, we build storage, we draw it down all through winter, and it hits a low, and then we build storage back up again. And I know it doesn't look like a lot, but here we are basically um, way below the five-year average. And um, that means that the United States, in order to feel secure, is going to have to build its own storage back up. So, yes, we're a country that's flush in natural gas. Yes, we produce a lot of it. But we're going to need a lot of it for ourselves to build our own storage back up. So in terms of being able to export to Europe, the United States isn't in a a much better position than Russia. And Russia's in a much more dire situation. They have a lot of rebuilding to do. And uh, Europe is in a similar situation. Everybody needs to be rebuilding 
their natural gas storage all at the same time. If only somebody could have foreseen this, it would be amazing. Um, in fact, we've been talking about this for months. Uh, great article here in Bloomberg. Uh, this comes to us September 27th, so pretty recent. Europe's energy crisis is coming for the rest of the world, too. This winter, the world will be fighting over something that's invisible, yet rarely so vital and in alarmingly shorter supply. Nations are more reliant than ever on natural gas to heat homes and power industries amid efforts to quit coal and increase the use of cleaner energy sources. That whole trope, oh, we're going to quit dirty coal and use cleaner gas. It's all kind of relative. It's true that on a per unit basis, natural gas releases less carbon dioxide and other pollutants than coal. But if you're just uh, swapping one for the other, you were on a fossil fuel, but now you're on a fossil fuel. There's really no difference. Um, what we really need to be doing in energy policy is, is building homes and businesses that require a lot less energy to heat and cool. We need to co-localize where you work, eat, play, so that there's less transport to get things from A to B. Um, we just need to build a much more energy-resilient economy and society, and swapping coal out for natural gas doesn't do any of that. It just flops you over to one, and you can tell yourself a good story, which is, oh, look, we're, we're greener and cleaner, but not really. Um, nothing's happened there. We need to make structural changes. All right carrying on, quote, but there isn't enough gas to fuel the post-pandemic recovery and refill depleted stocks before the cold months. Countries are trying to outbid one another for supplies as exporters such as Russia move to keep more natural gas home. The crunch will get a lot worse when temperatures drop. All eyes on the weather reports going forward at this point. Inventories at European storage facilities are at historically low levels for this time of year. Pipeline flows from Russia and Norway have been limited. That's worrying as calmer weather has reduced output from wind turbines, while Europe's aging nuclear plants are being phased out or are more prone to outages, making gas even more necessary. No wonder European gas prices surged by almost 500% in the past year and are trading near record. This is what it looks like on a chart. It's just a really astonishing chart. That speaks to a crisis. Remember, it's the pace of change, not necessarily the change itself. So if we'd gotten to that same level from 2005 to there in a nice straight slow line, everybody would have adapted to it. When you see a surge like that, businesses are caught short and you see things like the fertilizer plant just shutting down, saying we, we can't cope with that price. We don't have any structural model for it. So they just shut down. That's why the pace is very worrying. Continuing the same article uh, from Bloomberg, they said here, the spike is for some fertilizer producers in Europe to reduce output, while uh, with more expected to follow, threatening to increase costs for farmers and potentially adding to global food inflation, which it will not potentially. It's a guarantee. In the UK, high energy prices have forced several suppliers out of business. Even a normally cold winter in the northern hemisphere is expected to drive up natural gas prices further across much of the world. In China, industrial users, including makers of ceramics, glass, and cement, may respond to rising prices um, <laughs> by, by raising prices, which they probably will. Households in Brazil will face expensive power bills, which they also have a, a big drought there, so their hydro output is really bad right now. Economies that can't afford the fuel, such as Pakistan or Bangladesh, could simply grind to a halt. This is uh, in accordance with a, a philosophy I work with called from the outside in, that when you see any crisis start, whether it's a personal health crisis in your body, 
whether it's in a, um, a selected population or at the country level, the weaker parts go down first. Um, so you might see uh, the lower socioeconomic ladder in your country get harmed more and more quickly and earlier than the higher rungs. Same thing at the country level. So if we're going to watch carefully from the outside in to watch how much damage creeps towards the center of this story, um, which would be most of the Western nations. Utilities and policymakers, continuing the quote here, are praying for mild temperatures because it's already too late uh, to boost supplies. The prospect of accelerating energy costs in conjunction with squeeze supply chains and food prices at decade highs could make more central bankers question whether the jump inflation is as transitory as they'd hoped. Um, traders will be carefully dissecting every, every weather forecast published from now to December. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's all of those things, plus the central banks have poured massive amounts of money into the system, and that's creating inflationary pressures. So a supply shock and an inflationary shock, one due to structural issues in the supply, the second due to dummies at the central banks making decisions to pump money and to mostly benefit rich people. Um, so their stock portfolios can be higher. Those two things are going to combine and really hurt poor people. So the central bankers, through their policies, have specifically, knowingly targeted and harmed poor people. I say that not as somebody who's making a criticism in the rearview mirror, but as somebody who predicted that and has said that's what they were going to do. These inflationary policies are always put out there by the central banks, like, oh, we're trying to save jobs. That's what they say. But the impact is always the same. Hardly any jobs get saved, wages barely budge, and poor people and um, middle-class people get absolutely gutted by the inflationary impacts of what the Federal Reserve does. Meanwhile, the billionaires get more billionaire That's the story. It's as old as uh, printed money or even um, mined money itself, and we're about to live through it again. And we are living through it. Meanwhile, here's the situation in Europe. This is, again, one of those five-year um, average, but this actually has many more years involved in. I think this is 11 years. All this is 11 years of natural gas storage in Europe from high to low. But I've circled it. You can see here these three colors are the oldest years in the books, 2011, 12, and 13. So this line right here, this white line, is right here. That's 2021. It is at the bottom end of the last seven other years besides those first three. So it's really low storage. Uh, the reason it doesn't look that dire because it's enmeshed in all those other colors. In 2011, 12, 13, Europe was a lot less reliant on gas for electricity production. Now it uses a lot more gas because it's been phasing out coal, because it's been decommissioning nuclear plants. So in fact, uh, that yellow, that white line right there is showing the most dire storage situation for gas on this chart once you decode it. And by the way, there's not a lot they can do about this because uh, if you've heard about peak oil, there's also peak gas. It's a, it's a thing. Uh, the UK peaked in uh, gas output in 2000. That's a long time ago. And look, it's like, whee, down it goes. It's not going up again. Um, Norway peaked here in 2017. It's been their rock-on star producer coming out of those North Sea fields, but it peaked in 2017. Hey, that's four years ago. It's been declining ever since. And Dutch production, uh, mainly that huge Groningen field, uh, that has, right here is where they started to have these earthquake issues because they were withdrawing gas so fast, it was starting to shake the ground. And they said they slowed that down. Uh, and so you see their gas production just plummeted ever since. 
um, because of that. So this is not transitory, central bankers. There's nothing transitory about this. No, printing more money won't make more gas naturally come out of the ground in any of Europe's top three producers. So Europe is really over the barrel, no pun intended, uh, maybe pun intended, but they're over the barrel on this. Now, this is all related. I sent an alert to my members back here on September 20th about the shortages that we're seeing. What's an alert? An alert to me is something I send out when I come across a piece of information that's going to personally cause me to change my behaviors. So that's what I did in um, uh, January 23rd. I sent out an alert about the coronavirus. So I sent out an alert about these shortages. They're really going to have profound impacts. People ought to be adjusting for those in their personal households and the businesses they run. This is a very serious deal. You got to get your head around it as soon as you can. Now, uh, by the way, if you like this stuff and you like this channel, I'm going to have to ask you to subscribe or resubscribe, maybe resubscribe because for whatever reason, YouTube very helpfully unsubscribes people from this channel all the time. Here are a few examples over here. Uh, if you want to follow me as well, you can follow me mostly down there. Um, those are the places, uh, I hang out in particular peakprosperity.com. That's where you go. If you want to follow up on this report, you want to see what that alert was about. If you want to access any of uh, the premium coverage that I put out for my members, that's all found over at Peak Prosperity. But hey, if you like this, please like the video and share it. Now, conclusions today. First, there's a global energy crunch. It's underway. It's got, it's got a lot of speed to it. You see China emergency scrambling for coal, Europe scrambling for coal, Europe, Australia, which is not nominally a big uh, um, uh, coal exporter, is in deep doo-doo over there with their own, I don't know what's going on, but that country is tearing itself apart and um, is not able to do anything but put itself into lockdowns over, uh, it's so wrapped up around the axle of COVID, I don't think Australia is going to be a, a decent participant in um, upping its exports anytime soon. So anyway, global energy crunch, it's definitely underway. It's going to spill over and it's going to make life far more expensive for everyone, especially the poorer people middle-class people of this world, it's really going to begin to bite this year. So you're going to have to take some steps around that. If you're listening, there's a lot of things you can do about that. Um, but much of it's just limiting your energy use. Uh, that's the number one thing. But supply chains, number three on this list, this is what I'm really worried about. The supply chains are already stretched. They're already fractured and fragmented. They're going to get hammered. Energy crises, when your factory area gets shut down because they can't run the machines properly because of energy shortages, it creates an enormous disruption in the supply chains. So, oh, I see I have another typo here. Let me get that out real quick. We're going to have, uh, you know, a true 1970s style um, energy crisis, but this one's an actual supply shock. The, the, the supplies just aren't there. This is new. This is different. It's not like we have to convince the Arabs to open the spigots back up again because, you know, we'll just be nicer or something. This has nothing to do with that. And by the way, um, all very foreseeable, all very predictable. And oh, by the way, everything the central banks have done to just pour money on top of this situation are, is going to exacerbate it and make it worse. And they knew that or should have known that. And that's something that's on the central bankers. Which means and brings us to the final point, which is the possibility of an economic shock. It's really, it's all but certain at this point in time. And I don't know any other way that we're going to be able to avoid this. So every single time I've seen an energy price increase in the economic data, 
it's led to an economic shock. How bad that shock is going to be depends on a number of factors. But this time we have two things working against us. This is a legit supply shock. It's going to be very hard to undo because we failed to invest in more production, because we let go and laid off a lot of the critical workers, because it takes time to hire them back, because these things all take time and we don't have time in the story. Winter is coming and we don't have the natural gas to make up through that winter. So there's going to be all kinds of shortages. Uh, we're going to have to imagine now that our governments are going to go into triage around this. And we've seen how effective they've been at managing things like Oh, I don't know, testing for COVID and vaccination logic or illogic and early treatments or lack thereof. We've seen all of these. We've seen governments stumble on what I consider to be simple things. How do you think they're going to behave when we have to do an economic triage? Because now they're going to have to make decisions at the policy level. Who gets natural gas? Who doesn't? Do the factories get it or do households get it or do they both get pinched a little bit? Or are there certain factories that get it? Which ones do we consider more important? Suddenly, that becomes politics. Politics is never pretty. It's always ugly and it makes poor decisions. So part two of this report, I'm going to be talking a lot more about this and the impacts of this. And in particular, the absolute horror show that our government has become in terms of its ability to triage, make effective decisions, all of that. And this is all going to be um, a little bit of foreshadowing for a really great interview we have coming out later this week with Peter Bogosian. He's the Portland State University professor who quit, had to resign because his campus had become an intolerable uh, place of intolerance uh, because of the wokesters. That whole thing, if you follow the dots along, the people who are trained in that system, the people who become um, uh, fashioned through that model of thinking, turn out to be extraordinarily ungifted at navigating worlds with real crises and with real predicaments and that require real leadership. Um, and so we actually have a perfect storm has arrived between real supply shocks, really bad monetary policy, the impact of decades of poor education with a COVID overlay. And all of that is something I'm going to be discussing in part two of this, which you can find at Peak Prosperity. If you're watching this on YouTube, Hey, the link to that is right here. You can just click it. Also, the links, as always, are down in the description below. So wherever you're watching this, we'll always have the link back to the site. And if you're watching this, special offer for you to try out my service. See if you like it. If you do, great. Come stick around. But uh, this is what I do for the world. I'm your information scout. Glad to have brought you this report. It's very serious. I want you to take it seriously. That's all I have for you today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.